Hello and welcome to Drills to Detail, the podcast series about the world of big data, business intelligence and data warehousing, and the people who are out there leading the industry. I'm your host, Mark Ritman, and Drills to Detail goes out twice a month with each hour-long episode featuring a special guest, either from one of the vendors whose products we talk about all the time, or someone who's out there implementing projects for customers or helping them understand how they work and how they all fit together. You can subscribe for free at the iTunes Store podcast directory, and for show notes and details of past episodes, visit the Drill to Detail website at www.drilltodetail.com, where you'll also find links to previous episodes and the odd link to something newsworthy that we'll probably end up discussing in an upcoming show. In this episode, I'm very pleased to be joined by someone I've known actually for many years. First in my days as a consultant, where I helped his company implement an Oracle financial planning application way back in the early 2000s. But more recently through his work as part of Oracle's enterprise architecture team, where he and I collaborated on several updates to the reference data warehouse and more recently big data architecture. His name is Andrew Bond and like me he's a fellow Brit and so Andrew why don't you introduce yourself and the architecture work you do at Oracle. Yeah okay Uh, thanks Mark Uh, it's nice to be here and um, uh, it's nice to think about uh, old times as well. I my my role now is I head up um, both the what's called the cloud enterprise architecture team, you know, so the client advisor team uh, within Oracle across uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and also Asia Pacific. Um, those two teams, uh, ostensibly, uh, the client advisor team is really to have a business transformation conversation, um, and they tend to work with our biggest accounts, our key accounts, um, to drive um, uh, a conversation around, for example, cloud adoption, digitization, um, finance transformation, and transformation of the core business. Um, And then the architects, the cloud enterprise architects are really there to talk about how that can be made a reality, both in terms of how the building blocks that we can use to create that, but also in terms of creating a roadmap for IT adoption. And as the name implies, increasingly um, they're building solutions based on cloud. And I mean that in the broadest sense, um, um, but typically cloud-based technologies. Interesting, interesting. So so in the first episode of this podcast, I had um, Stuart Bryson on the call. And we talked about the... Uh, the reference architecture that we worked with you on a few years ago, particularly the uh, the one that incorporated some of the thinking around big data and some of the ideas around kind of uh, execution layers, innovation layers, and, and, and so on. And we talked on that call about, I suppose, in a way, a couple of years on, how do we think about that? How much did we think that the architecture that we worked on and talked about with you was being used? How much of it maybe in retrospect is maybe not so kind of relevant now? And also we touched on um, how cloud would affect it as well. And I know later on in the call, we're going to talk about kind of cloud, particularly in the context of kind of uh, big data. But for the listeners on the podcast, do you want to kind of talk about the reference architectures that Oracle do and that we worked on, particularly this last one and some of the thinking behind the incorporation of, say, big data and fast data and that sort of thing? Just just allow, first of all, what it was all about. Yeah, okay. So I think historically we we had, We'd found that the and 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 we were sharing experiences with you from a long long time ago uh, on this. We had all of the components uh, that were needed to do good BI solutions, good data warehousing solutions. But I think you and I were both seeing projects where the technology may be great, but 
you know, we were getting a lot of these things wrong, frankly, and our customers were getting a lot of things wrong. And we started wanting to build a reference architecture to encapsulate best practice. And um, this is this is going a long time back now, um, but probably that the first iteration of that started, what, eight, nine years ago, uh, something like that. Um, and we went through several iterations working with customers, working with you in particular and and other organizations like yours um and we came up with the latest iteration as you said um a couple of years ago and it it was uh, really building on things that we'd done in the past i think we'd found we'd moved already away from a kind of historic view of things being bi and data warehousing and we were going off down a route where we were talking about slightly more agile ways of uh, delivering um, uh, uh, results. Uh, and, we, and, you know, I, I remember e- even in the second generation, we were, we were talking about um, things like Query Federation and those sorts of things. Um, but I think what we found um, uh, was that there was, particularly in big data sense, there was there was a, a lot of confusion about what big data actually meant. I mean, I, I, probably two, three years ago, I think you and I were probably both getting quite frustrated about these terms like unstructured versus structured data and and an understanding of what that actually meant. And, and we, we kind of zeroed in on really, rather than this being about types of data, it was more about being able to deliver results fast and almost like a, a pace layering type approach to information delivery and i know with you and with Stuart in particular we were having a, a lot of really interesting dis- uh, discussions about the the agile and scrum type methodologies for delivering an information discovery process and and that becoming part of the overall information delivery um were the key things that big data type technologies could be exploited for and could support. At the same time, as you said, we started to see um, what had traditionally been out on the periphery as maybe the last thing you did put into the heart of the architecture. And we'd seen that with some data warehouse and good BI implementation, but big data really enabled that. And particularly the uh, the piece around, uh, as you said, streaming type uh, analytics and fast data and what I would term, you know, e- IOT type uh, architectures. And we really started to see these move to the heart of it. So one of the things we developed was a very high level, in fact, uh, higher level than we'd had before, conceptual model. Um, and that's that's pretty much worked for us. And it's a nice way of introducing best practice and architecture and architectural thoughts uh, at a very, very high level to uh, not necessarily a, a tech savvy and certainly not a, a data warehouse savvy audience. Um, and then we moved on from there to really uh, overhauling the logical architecture and specifically introducing um, techniques around uh, data reservoir and and moving from what you could term information discovery through to 
to um, the consumption of um, a system of record type data. So you, you could almost lay over this the pace layers from Gartner, but you could take them uh, rather than being, you know, um, uh, systems of innovation, systems of differentiation. You could almost say this was this was data of innovation, this was data of um, uh, record, and so on. And and we had a nice facility for doing that. So I think those things really worked, and we got a lot right there. I think what we the challenges we faced, however, were were and still do. Uh, I, uh, particularly came down to um, certain elements of physical choice. And I think we'll talk a lot more about um, things like um, mapping to the Apache uh, toolset a little later on. Um, And and choices around um, uh, things like, uh, do I uh, polyglot versus uh, multimodal type choices, specialization versus consolidation and standardization. Um, I, I think we there we saw a lot of desire by organizations at certain levels and, and almost two competing forces, a lot of desire to exploit new technology, which was great. But at the same time, you know, a lot of desire and understandable desire from IT to try and uh, keep control over the proliferation of technology and i i I still what we've had to do with the architecture i don't think the architecture per se does a great job in explaining where and what to use for certain use cases um and we've had to do a lot of work particularly in terms of documenting things like the uh apache zoo the other thing that um we probably didn't do a great job of explaining, uh, first of all, and, and partially because I think we weren't really thinking in these terms, but, but was things like Lambda architectures. Um, so we started to see Lambda emerging as a, as a trend, and I don't think we'd really worked out um, and I don't think our customers had the use cases for it. Um, so, so for example, we, we, we'd find Lambda being, being considered and we didn't really have good rules of thumb and the architecture didn't really support when we should make decisions on that uh, and when we shouldn't. I mean, I, obviously, particularly in the context of you, the way you talked about it before in terms of fast data and um, and streaming and those sorts of things. Lambda was intended for this ingestion and processing of timestamped events. And we saw, uh, and and certainly rather than sort of overwritten data and and state being determined by, you know, natural time-based ordering of the data. I mean, you know, it come out of the the sort of uh, social media space. And, And so typically... The space it had come out of was that events were mutating over time and that uh, maybe the accuracy wasn't typically required. Whereas we were, certainly historically, the architecture that we had was coming from the point of view that actually consistency and accuracy were very important. And this is where I start to think, you know, that, that 
being able to classify data according to the architecture became uh, really important. And as I said, you know, we started uh, the combination of that uh, desire to um, event stream process data in an extremely fast or very fast type way uh, to better capture data capture events have different message types uh, and being able to exploit them quickly whilst at the same time being able to uh, use reliable data so for example I would have events that are happening to a customer right now and transactions that a customer were making but but my my next best activity may well be determined both by what's happening now and also by what goes on in the future and what's gone in the past in terms of things I've derived about that customer that became really interesting and challenging first of all and also more and more technology driven so you know I mean I mean what tended to happen was we would have conversations where people not only told you that they were going to do uh, lambda but actually that the technology choice that they were using was I don't know Kafka and Flume or um, some other physical aspect and then there was a piece that we had to do then in terms of um, sort of revisiting architecture a little bit and revisiting architecture best practice to to make sure that we were actually doing the right thing so so yeah Andrew I thought that looking back I mean you meant I heard you know you mentioned at the time about the start there you know it's been several years and um it has been, you know, and, and several years in, in kind of, you know, internet time and big data time is, is a long time. And so I think certain, certainly it would be interesting to think about, you know, what the architecture would look like now. Would it be any different? Would it be, you know, would it be the same? But I think particularly some of the things that worked for me in that architecture were, first of all, that it kind of legitimized big data, brought it into the kind of the, 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 the kind of the view of the people that do enterprise architectures and the customers that we deal with. Um, and that was good. And I think particularly the, the kind of separation of innovation and execution, that for me, if you took one thing away from the architecture, um, and for anyone listening, we're going to put the reference architecture kind of link on the, on the show notes so you can read it and so on. It's a presentations and some PDFs and so on. But in this architecture, it, it, it made this distinction between uh, execution layer and innovation layer on the basis that customers that, that do kind of, you know, they do start a big data project, they might well start it off as a kind of like a, a skunk works project. And then it, that goes into production. But then to further innovate, you need to still have that sort of that ability to, to try things differently, try different tools and, and so on. So that for me was, was really good. And I think um, some of the bits that were a little bit unclear, I think, in the architecture then were things like data factory, you know, what does that kind of, what does that mean and so on. But in, in general, I think it was kind of good. But but again, looking back, um, some of the things that have happened, I suppose, since then, or things that are on people's minds a lot is things like self-service BI, the whole kind of rise of, of, of kind of tools that don't kind of like require the users to do data modeling at the start and so on and do things from there. Um, I'd be interested to get your view on kind of, you know, where they fit in and so on. But also, I suppose, one question that I often used to have is, you know, where does the data reservoir go? Because... Um, you know, you could say it's a system that is being kind of maintained and it's a very much a kind of like run the business system. But there's obviously kind of like less controls and it's schema on read in there and so on. I mean, just going back to that, and I want to get onto things like cloud later on and so on, but did you have any kind of questions from customers about things like self-service and, and data reservoirs and where they fit in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so we, we had an awful lot of these uh, conversations and, and I think 
to your point, one of the things the architecture's never done is describe, because um, I think there's as much here about architecture and technology as there is about operating model and governance and those sorts of things. And, and definitely, I think that one thing we weren't being prescriptive on and still aren't is you know, um, operating model and who controlled the data and what went into the lake or reservoir. I mean, I, you know, we, we, we even, I, I was pleased to hear you say reservoir because it, we liked the term reservoir because it, it implied some rigor and some control. Uh, and um, uh, in terms of physically how it manifested itself, I, I, I think that was one of the things I was trying to hint at. I, that was that was a real challenge i think it, i i my belief is it still is a real challenge when i look at what we do now in terms of things like choices on persistent stores or choices on non-persistent data stores or um what we're going to do about workflow orchestration what we're going to do about data movement i think those are hugely challenging not least because the technology tool set that we've got underneath it is rapidly evolving um, um, and uh, we need to stay abreast of uh, probably a whole series of technologies that we didn't need to know in the past and that new capability introduces new architectural uh, possibilities. So um, I think the principles of the architecture um, and some rough rules of thumb are still applicable. So, you know, I, I, my guiding thoughts are, you know, we're going to do polyglot, but we're going to do it by need rather than by religion. We still want to aim for a small tech estate. We want minimum number of moving parts and technologies. We, 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 at the same time, want the shortest data chain that we can possibly have and the minimum number of copies. And a, a lot of our original thinking, I think, around that, and, and it still holds. And I, I, I certainly think, to your point about bringing big data into the enterprise class, um, I, I think it's probably fair to say that we saw a fair few projects, first of all, where they were probably developer-driven perhaps by people that didn't entirely understand data and, and information exploitation so much as understanding map reduce and and therefore proliferation of data was starting to rear its ugly head again and we could we could take the architecture and and as critique implementations based on that um yeah striving for data consistency would and and if you couldn't immediately get it trying to get there as quickly as possible and and introducing things like the ideas of of unified processing logic I think that was the, those rules of thumb still hold. The complication for me, and I think where you need additional pieces of information, is in particular in the physical mapping. I think that's where we need to supplement a logical architecture with, um, well, what what we would describe as almost like a, a dictionary of the Apache Zoo. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'll get onto that later on. I think that'd be a, a, an interesting area. Um, I, I guess as, an, as a, a kind of slightly tangential bit with it, 
the, the thing I find with, with, with any kind of customer or any kind of organization doing big data is often, like you say, it's very developer driven. And it's almost like kind of the days of the fall of the Roman Empire in that there's loads of projects going on, like the barbarian sort of thing. And nobody wants to talk about data modeling or data consistency or, or you know, the old vendors and that sort of thing. Do, in a way, you know, do you find that you, you these, these enterprise architectures, you're finding they're being used, I mean, beyond the kind of people you speak to in the architecture department, you know, do, do, do the, right to the bottom down, do people believe in this or do we have to do an education job with people um, doing big data projects about the reason for an architecture and the reason for these sort of things, even reason for data modelling as well? I mean, do you find that there's, it's, I suppose in a way, do you find that the work you're doing in enterprise architectures is getting taken up by the developers? Um, yes, uh, I, I, but it, I, I, and I don't think necessarily this has changed, Mark. It's just that new technologies have, have, have enabled us to make more mistakes more quickly. Um, I think I think even historically, I mean, uh, going back to when you and I were um, a, a little younger, um, people were making the same mistakes quite often. Um, and, um, uh, so, so, uh, there is definitely at the moment, I, I, I think these things come in waves, but there's definitely a trend at the moment towards more silification of BI and there has been, uh, ever since big data took off. And if I, and, and I, and whilst I, I talked warmly about, um, information architecture moving to the part of, um, things like IoT and customer experience type architectures. At the same time, if you, whilst the information delivery within that may well have subscribed to parts, if not all, of the reference architecture, was that true necessarily at an enterprise scale? Probably not. Uh, in the vast majority of cases, and could more have been done at an enterprise scale to. Uh, both control data and um, and steward data in in a in a in a good way. I, I think almost almost undoubtedly um, yes. The, 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 and, and I think that to some extent um, we are all of us uh, as as as. Um, big data professionals as enterprise architects and so on I think we're probably all guilty to some extent of failing to address that point and we are still um, going down the road of um, fairly siloed information delivery um, and of course yeah, the, the more we it, it, it depends entirely on whether you think there's a role for the kind of the city planner type enterprise architect in the customer organization or not. The more and more we're solution driven, the more and more this qualification is likely to happen. And if it is, then the best thing we can do is make sure that the architecture that's put together for that for that specific silo, for that line of business and line piece, at least that subscribes to the reference architecture in microcosm, even if we can't do this at the at the grand layer. Um, uh, data modeling, I, I'm, I, I, I kind of shudder um, because I, I think huge mistakes were made by data modelers historically 
in terms of going away in a darkened room for 10 years and coming back with is that what you wanted answer probably not or if even if it was yeah but now I want to answer the next question I think that 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 was something that you and I and Stuart really latched onto about big data was that we didn't have to put that up front I think I data modeling got a bad name for itself because it took you ages to deliver anything and then it took you a long time to iterate it seemed to me that with with big data technologies in particular we could we could iterate much more quickly um because of the schema on read factor yeah i, th- I think you know in a way we had, we had a debate on on, on twitter yesterday uh, as you do about, about data modeling and, and it's an interesting area i mean i think you know in a way data modeling is an industry that's ripe for disruption really i, th- I think that yeah. the kind of the people the people that the people that do data modeling are often the most kind of you know pedantic the most kind of dogmatic people you can get for, you know for good reason in the same way you might make yeah and, and it sort of struck me that it was, it was definitely an industry that was ripe for disruption and if you look at when the Gartner report came through, the Gartner Magic Quadrant, and there was the kind of modern BI platform, and, and some of the ideas they came they came up with, which was that you know data modeling should be uh, optional, and it should be as auto magic as possible, you know, in, get to get schema out of the data. Yeah, you know, your first reaction was, well, that's ridiculous, but actually, you know, you can see why why customers would not want to kind of spend months and months and months doing some kind of data model design that would be kind of very rigid and, and, and then as you say by the time the, the questions come along um, yeah the questions changed but I think also probably the reaction against it was was too extreme as well to sort of say we don't need that at all and like all these things is that kind of like boring but but kind of you know probably sensible thing in the middle of, of some of it's needed and some of it's not but I think certainly I think that like a lot of things I think the days of customers paying for very kind of large-scale BI projects with lots and lots of upfront data modeling they're just gone really so in a way, like you said, with the architectures, you've got to accept that's not going to be there anymore. And it's how, how can you make the best of what you've got and how can you still try and sort of drive through that quality and so on. But that, that for me, you know, data, mod, data modeling and, and self-service, they're kind of areas that have really changed things. Another area I want to get onto really that I think is another big change that's happened since that architecture was done is cloud. Um, and yeah. I think like a lot of things, any kind of new innovation in any industry, you just do... This, just do you just do the this new thing in the old way? So a lot of cloud, um, you know, BI implementations that I saw, you know, by the start or even big data ones were just porting the same thing into cloud and running it kind of in a shared server rather than you know your own. But but how 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 have you guys? How's Oracle seen cloud affecting big data enterprise architecture? Is it just a case of porting it all into Oracle Cloud and running it there, or fundamentally has it changed things, or does it give us new options? Really, you know, what, what's your take on cloud and 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 Oracle? Uh, yeah, I, I think this is a fascinating area, I, and and it's probably gone faster than I thought it would. And 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 I have to caveat what I'm about to say by, um, I think this is where working for Oracle, I probably get a slightly different view to maybe some of the other um, vendor employees. I mean, because. Because we do have such a wide capability, um, and this becomes important because uh, I, uh, you, there, there are a lot of elements. I, what I, I, I kind of want to focus on the on the on the on the, what I perceived as the challenge first of all, which was around things like data ingestion and creating. Um, uh, things like multi-tenancy support and having trust in that multi-tenancy support. There were 
Uh, a lot of questions around networking, um, bulk data loads, uh, incremental data loads, um, uh, bi-directional and unidirectional data movement and replication across data centers. I mean, the, the, the questions around BI tooling, uh, data discovery, exploitation, um, questions around things like um, access to on-premise tools when your data's sitting in a cloud. Um, and then most obviously, I think the big question a lot of people were asking was around security governance organization so you know i want this solution to integrate with ldap because yeah in many ways this data is my crown jewels i want to comply with regulation in terms of things like data masking encryption now i would argue that a lot of those things or audit monitoring that sort of stuff but i would argue that a lot of those things customers probably should have been thinking about anyway um but but cloud uh, and and cloud-based solutions make people think about them even further um so i right so for, for, to answer your question can you can you go and take that architecture and kind of stick it onto an infrastructure service possibly um uh, but that's pretty dull uh, to your point uh and uh, tr probably not a transformation maybe a an it cost saving but probably not a true transformation and i think that within that if that's all that you do you know there are interesting questions to answer about um particularly about things like performance and um whether you can deliver the analytics at the speed that you actually require uh with a fairly standardized uh, infrastructure. Um, so what we found is that actually we could set up and we have and we have defined end-to-end -end solutions for um, big data and analytics, first of all. Now, uh, and that uh, I think that's quite startling. The fact that we can take not just elements and the silos of the architecture, I mean, most most obviously you could take a bi application running off of um like a sales or marketing or uh, erp solution and of course you can deliver a bi um reporting solution on top of that i mean that's obvious but what's surprised me is that you could actually put together an end-to-end -end solution with uh, a data landing area, a real-time data landing area, a data reservoir, a data warehouse, BI tooling, discovery and, and, and development type lab. And you could do all of that in a cloud, even though the sources of that uh, data were predominantly on-premises. On um, and typically the way we've seen that being architected is you end up with some kind of on-premise data hub which is then pushing data out into what is a fairly classical architecture so we've used components like data integrator then pushing that up into things like our storage cloud for instance our storage cloud service then moving that and and you can imagine that as a as a landing area moving that along then to um a big data cloud service uh a, 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 a 
an exadata cloud service in our, in 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 uh, in our terms, but it, but you know more generically a, a database cloud service, still running um, that that big data uh, SQL time reach through from one to the other. You could do all of that. You could do the data discovery um, again through those cloud services and the interpretation of the data through things like. Uh, Big Data Discovery Cloud Service, BI Cloud Service. Now, this is uh, I, 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 now I'm I'm well aware I've I've kind of gone away from architecture a little bit here into into products and and forgive me for that. But but the reason I do that is because what's really interesting about this is when you have that ability to have an end-to-end solution within a single cloud provider and i think what i've seen of and again this may be because i you know i work for oracle but i guess what i've seen less of is uh, an end-to-end cloud solution where that cloud solution is heavily distributed across a wide number of cloud vendors i i genuinely don't think that happens i i think what's more likely to happen in that scenario is you are going to go for an effect an infrastructure as a service approach, which in effect is a virtualization of of, um, of, of various on-premise tooling. Whereas, if we can elevate that to in effect PaaS, and and if not bordering on SaaS, I have to say, then I think this becomes um, much more interesting in terms of. Um, the agility effect that cloud can have in that fast delivery and that fast scaling and all of those things that you would expect with cloud, a genuine business benefit to cloud. So, so a couple of areas that, that, that struck me were, were interesting in, in, in moving this area to the cloud is, is, well, first of all, I noticed there's that data as a service service that Oracle offer. Where, where, and I think yeah. this ability to bring in external data, you know, when that external data could be in the cloud as well, you know, it's much simpler to bring that in, especially if Oracle that themselves act as a broker. Um, and I think that there's far too little, into my mind, external data brought into people's systems like this. And I think, you know, certainly, and, and I think maybe because of the way that Oracle market things, you know, data as a service does not appear on the same sort of presentations as, as it does for things like big data cloud service. But that, that, that data as a service thing is interesting. Um, but also, the other thing that's interesting as well is it's not just BI running the cloud. It's, it's also the customer's CRM. It's the, it's the customer's kind of ERP and so on. Did you think Oracle particularly have got a kind of um, an angle which is quite interesting, which is you know, at the same time you move it, you're moving their, their kind of analytics into the cloud. Chances are what drove that was moved with the customer moving their, their kind of ERP into the cloud. And do you think there's a, a special opportunity Oracle have got there? That say, kind of, you know, Amazon wouldn't have or Microsoft wouldn't have. And do you think that's interesting for the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's a more generic question around um, uh, cloud adoption in general, which is uh, associated with your point, which is that I think cloud historically has been seen as either a, a fairly dumb piece of infrastructure adoption or um, SaaS adoption. Now, you know, I mean, Oracle plays in both spaces, but actually I think where cloud becomes really interesting is if you see a cloud as the continuum of IT services. Um, and um, 
if 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 you if you start to see cloud as that, then I think we are almost uniquely placed to be able to provide that complete continuum of IT services, starting with SaaS, as you say, and then and then moving down through the stack. Um, so I, I think it's probably fair to say we, as I said, we we saw plenty. We saw lots and lots of um, uh, adoptions where customers have started with SaaS. To be historically CX, HCM, increasingly now ERP, um, and you provide the associated business intelligence out of the box, frankly, uh, as you would have consumed a BI app on premise, but now you do that out of the box um, on 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 the cloud-based solution itself, and then to your point, you broaden that out. You broaden that out with other PaaS components, data discovery, uh, and so on. What's really interesting now is simultaneous to that, we're seeing end-to-end cloud adoption for the whole thing. And that's the thing I think that's really shocked me. I think I think the, the previous one was quite predictable. I think the idea of having a complete end-to-end solution in a single cloud is um, is amazing, frankly, and 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 almost regardless of where the the data comes from, to be able to deliver a true enterprise solution with all of the data discovery elements that we've talked about with with uh, data quality and so on. And again, I I feel like we're fairly uniquely placed there. Um, I I agree with your observation about. Um, data as a service. Now, what's interesting about data as a service, and particularly when you pick up on the customer experience stuff, the CRM stuff, is that typically it's being pulled through for that reason. But really, a a really decent um, CX architecture will tend to be based from its information perspective on the kind of architecture that we were laying out in the reference architecture. And therefore, it's, it's the sum of that external series of data sources, maybe about customers, but but then but then uh, that data is 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 merged with, uh, mashed up with uh, data that you've derived internally about those customers as well um, to provide that that overall um, uh, best feed of next best activity. Um, and you can combine that in a fast data solution. And, and and the fact that you can do all of this in the cloud now, you can do an end-to-end solution in the cloud, which is fully auditable, that you can get past regulators, even in a financial services type environment. I think, frankly, maybe a sign of my age, but it, the speed at which we've been able to do that has shocked me um, and is very pleasing. It's very yeah. exciting. I mean, it's an interesting area, and I've been doing a few kind of like future of BI presentations at various user groups over the last kind of few months and years, in a way. I think that what things think that the saying is always that things change slower than you expect, and so on. But I kind of think that an analytics project in a few years' time will be quite different to the ones we saw kind of you know several years ago, with a few people or lots of people actually sitting with kind of desktop tools, carefully kind of modelling data and carefully feeding it in from from ERP systems into a into a data warehouse and so on. I think yeah, moving to the cloud means that I think there's much broader opportunity to apply analytics and machine learning and so on over kind of you know 
ERP data in there as well. But I think also, you know, again, back to this thing about kind of data, things, things will need to be a lot more kind of automatic and a lot more sort of, you know, I suppose, did, did that induction of schema out of data and so on. I think the days of carefully kind of crafting these things and, and, and so on, and, you know, back to the things of kind of at, uh, weekly loads and so on there will, will be quite different. And, and I think that we'll find analytics will be everywhere, but it will be quite different in a way to what it is now. And it will be much more pervasive. It will be much more taking in data from external sources. It will be about applying analytics to transactions as they're done. Um, but, but I think there'll be far less kind of engineering going on. It's almost like, you know, going from, say, people talk about having, you know, power plants in the factories and now it's kind of in the grid. I, I think that we'll see massive differences in that way. The work people will do, there'll still be work for consultants and there'll still be work for implementers, but it won't be kind of like handcrafting dimensional models and so on. It'll be about kind of, you know, synthesizing data and bringing in external stuff and so on as well. I mean, I think, I think it'll be quite different in a way. And I think that we now think about, BI and analytics moving into the cloud as being just porting the same system running into there, you know, that we have now. But I think it'll be quite different and how it'll be different is, is hard to tell. But I think all these things coming together means that it'll be, you know, hopefully far more value, but far less kind of hand tinkering, really. Um, not entirely. I, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I think you present a, a rosy view and, 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 and potentially one which... Um, which it is um, kind of interesting to business users. I, I think the, uh, you know, uh, but but at the same time, I I, I think you've got uh, that's definitely one area, and the, and the cloud area is interesting from the point of view of automation, as you as you describe it, and and also big data preparation, big data discovery, all of those things where you can use algorithm to derive structure yeah i'm i'm fully with you there what i've also seen though we we made reference to it earlier was the is the rise of the developer and 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 that's true in general but specifically we've seen the rise of the developer in the big data space and you know if i took a subject like um data preparation uh, and, and integration at the moment. Um, and I looked at the kind of choices that we had to make there in terms of the tooling that we would use. Uh, I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could, you could, um, say, well, you know, it's great because there's Oracle's big data, um, preparation cloud service, right? So that's good. It's a, and, and to your point, it's a visual, it's a visual thing delivered over the cloud. Uh, it's utilizing Spark under the covers. Uh, we're good to go. But at the same time as that, you've got developers actually not using a visual interface, using, I don't know, morph lines or something like that. Um, you've got um, cascading coming along, um, which will require a plugin to visualize the data pipelines, but is more likely to have been frankly the logic is likely to have been a series of uh, pipe assemblies uh, and so what i think is happening is that there is a, a developer um a developer aspect of this and a developer orientation of this which i think is quite different and and, and quite hard for us to get our heads around i mean i you know my my seven-year-old's 
coding python at the moment and 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 maybe there is gonna be a very significant number of people who don't necessarily sit in it but have developer skills exactly exactly and, and, and there was a, there was an article i think i i posted it or tweeted it a while ago and i think it was on the cloudera blog and it was it was about doing bi in, in python and it was just pages of code and, and you know, very productive yep. and it's very different to what we do. And I think I posted at the time, you know, this is the future of BI. It's not going to be graphical, you know, and that's kind of slightly ironic or slightly pessimistic or whatever. But, you know, it, it is interesting to sort of see. I think I was at a Cloudera Sessions event in Amsterdam a while ago and, and the, a guy stood up and, and very proudly kind of said, you know, I'm now doing my data loading using kind of scripts and, and Python and so on. And yeah, you felt like saying, you know, have you heard of the idea of ETL to us? But you'd been like the kind of the dad at the party, wouldn't you? Telling people to kind of like put an old record on. Yeah, people don't want to hear that. And and it's, but you, you, I think one thing, the last thing I want to talk about really on that topic, and, and you know, you, you mentioned at the start is just the amount of these products that are out, the amount of kind of Apache products. And you mentioned more flights, you know, there's, I think for every, every for every day and for every vendor, there's a, there's a new kind of like data pipeline tool, a new kind of like NoSQL storage and so on. Uh, in yeah. your in your architecture before you're very careful not, not to get into specifics of products and so on but you know yeah. wh- why do you think this is an interesting area and why do you think it's something that you keep coming back to really as being an area people do think about give, give us an outline of why you why this is so i think historically i i think that our reason for being uh technology choice agnostic with the logical architecture i think that still applies and that still flies and i'm i'm quite happy with that i think one of the reasons we did it is that there were relatively few end-to-end oracle solutions um and typically we were integrating with something so we needed an architecture that worked regardless of what incumbent technologies were and and we were trying to encapsulate best practice now to your point with with big data there is a, a very large number of um, uh, vendors and indeed projects in particular which are in various varying states of um, uh, maturity and a lot of choices are being made it's almost an architect's nightmare because ultimately what the architects can sit there and do for a lot for a while and hopefully we don't make the mistake of going down the same route as the data modelers and pontificate the rest of our lives but hopefully we actually deliver something but but you spend a long time getting the the logical architecture right yeah i'm good with that but then you have to start placing your bets on physical choices now historically we could yeah, you were placing bets on one or two um, uh, choices, which which were among major vendors, and yeah, I, it, that could go right or wrong. But uh, typically, you know, you you were on fairly safe ground, and the the cadence of change was you know fairly easy to handle, fairly easy to absorb. But now. That's not the case. I mean, I, I kind of look at the projects that I saw being done two, three years ago where people were hand coding MapReduce. And I just want to cry because you have to get used to the notion now you are going to throw all of that away. All of that code that you saw there, Mark, two years ago and you talked about, I mean, I mean that stuff is going to go. Now, I, you, 
there's one or two things where either you say, well, you know, this can't possibly be right and we're going to run away from it. Or you simply accept that the cost of delivering BI now is that cadence of code change. I mean, I, I, a great example is, is, you know, data capture and delivery. I, 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 th- I think, you know, we, you and I saw the early iterations of Flume and then Flume next generation being completely different. And then along comes Kafka and we're thinking, okay, well, this is a different way of thinking about this. We've now got something where, you know, we've, we've addressed some of the issues of Flume. It does other things. At the same time, um, we need a framework underneath that, like Storm or Samza or something like that. And then, brilliantly, of course, we start to learn that we can combine the two and we come up with a fantastic term called Flafka, um, where we can embrace probably the two use cases of um, traditional message broker website activity logging with the aggregation capabilities um but at the same time you know still not necessarily dealing brilliantly with things like um bulk load and trickle from from dbms into hdfs or um struggling to deliver mission critical sensor data to a cp sync or something like that i mean so I, the, the the problem is with this polyglot thing is it's very very granular first of all so your choices are are tough in the first place and then the cadence of change you know I, I, and i we've we've got to a point now where certainly from an architecture perspective we basically keep um a, a set of um uh architecture actual guidelines for physical choices um and we are working through what we evaluate to be the evolutionary maturity um versus and 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 the other element that we're considering here is the 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 breadth of adoption and mind share of of a particular piece um so um you know uh so if if i take um one particular subject like i don't know um data query for example um this is this is a really interesting emerging area um we have things that are well established like hive um but we've then you know and that's had that's some deficiencies um not necessarily great for interactive applications, typically a high latency with things like the JVM setup, um, every map reduce job writing back to disk, those kinds of things. Um, then we've seen things like, you know, uh, well, Oracle had the X query thing. We've seen things like Impala arriving uh, and, and again, drawbacks of that in terms of things like uh, resilience and so on. And now you're seeing what Apache Drill, you're seeing Stinger, you're seeing Presto, you're seeing Phoenix, um, Spark SQL, um, Big Data SQL, and 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 to my mind, this whole thing. I mean, we, we're in a we, we're going through an iteration now where we will update what we're doing every month to try and keep tabs on what we think is going on in the Apache world. So, for example, you know what's going on druid right now has it got a future 
what's that future like to be what does it replace what could we use instead what are the use cases for it um we've probably i i, I don't know I probably if i if i combine everything like search like workflow and orchestration like advanced analytics we've probably got i mean we could probably make a hundred a hundred yeah. different products yeah that, uh, Hundred different components that we could we could think about at the moment. It's interesting, isn't it? I, mean, I think, for, from my perspective, it's got that's got a few impacts. And so, uh, some of the projects that I've worked on, one of the impacts of this is is that because of the way these things are built, you know, typically they're hand coded. You know, hive hive scripts are typically written by hand and and so on. Is that these projects become baked in for that technology kind of like evolution? And and there isn't the budget, there isn't the inclination, there isn't the kind of time really sometimes to move on to say Spark or stuff like that, because of I suppose the nature of big data projects is that they're very kind of experimental and very kind of like you know disruptive and so on. You find that you know there there isn't the ability to kind of move from say sort of Hive to Spark or whatever in in customers, and they tend to be locked into a certain version, you know, which is which is a shame. And the amount of projects I see around that are still using kind of old school Hive, you know, um, instead of say things like Impala or Drill and so on, is is, is kind of sad. Um, the other thing really is is that you, the the things people obsess about in this world, you know, about whether it's kind of low latency kind of SQL and so on, and then in a way they're not thinking about the stuff that is actually important to kind of to organizations properly like security and and it's to, to my mind it's it's what you mentioned about maturity of these products and and one thing that i've always found very interesting and i found this with spark on a project recently is just how much you expect to kind of be there that isn't there you know so so the kind of security you get with in say an oracle or teradata or whatever database is just not there now and it's an interesting world. I think a lot of the stuff that we obsess about, you know, whether it's the latest version of a SQL on Hadoop engine or the latest NoSQL engine, in a way, the hard, it's a bit like any open source project, the hard stuff, the stuff that is not interesting, but is not sexy, but is important, often doesn't get done. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite pleased to see some of the initiatives coming out of, say, Cloudera with record service and, and so on there. But again, you know, within, I think what you tend to find is that there's these kind of big groupings of vendors. You've got the kind of the, the, the uh, Clouderas, the Hortonworks, the Mapars, and they're all doing their own take on, on security, their own take on sort of SQL and so on as well. And it's very, you know, it's, it's quite saddening in a way, coming from the world of you know, ETL tools and, and, and in a way databases being a solved problem. We've kind of gone back 20 years in a way and we've got this very kind of balkanized and very kind of like, you know, low maturity sort of systems. But again, I suppose we might sound like the, the mainframe people of years ago that were complaining about these kind of mini computers that are coming along that couldn't do the things that mainframes could do, but they took over. And it's, it's, I suppose it's classic disruptive technology, really. But going back to the job that you guys do around architecture and thinking about these kind of bigger problems, this is where I think it adds that kind of level of kind of almost adult supervision that sometimes you don't get when these initiatives are driven by, the, driven by IT or driven by particularly the developers. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's funny uh, you you undermined uh, the joke I had coming, which is, of course, if you, if you, if you think it's sad that people are still using Hive, I, there are there are customers out there still using Teradata, which I I find even more appalling. But um, uh, the uh, but surely that's that's the reason I go back to the architecture every time. I I kind of I, if we if we take that 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 approach where we say look there is this piece and it's all about innovation our main focus on it is innovation it's not data of record it's not important um stuff that's actually running the business 
it is stuff that we can afford to get slightly wrong and it is stuff that we will reinvent but if we can create sufficient differentiation in it for a year then good enough it's paid for itself and then we accept for as long as lives it's a good thing and then at some point it's going to die if we accept that it is delivered in that multi multi paced uh form now in general then why should information technology be any different what architecture it seems to me gives you gives you the right to do is to be able to classify that capability and put it in the right place and as long as we do that i think we're in a good place I mean, people ask me about whether I think that the Oracle database is still uh, a, a, sufficient, a, a, a thing that you're going to need for overall information delivery in the advent of big data. And, and so far, I've got to say, yes, it is, because it is that, it's that line that you talked about earlier between discovery and innovation and then actually exploitation of mission critical information. And at the moment, the one thing I think customers can still uh, bank on is that eventually the goodness that you get out of that uh, big data part, you're going to post off into uh, a data warehouse somewhere. Now, I, I don't. I certainly, I'm, I'm certainly not arguing for the. Pl- of data warehouses. I'm certainly not arguing for um, lots and lots of data modeling going on. And I just think, I mean, you referred to mainframes. There's still a lot of mainframes around. And it seems to me that that these technologies that are emerging, they will complement everything that we're talking about. But you have to embrace the side that says, this is fast fail, but it's also something that even if it succeeds, it's 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 half life is probably significantly less than the things I've been used to up until now. And as long as you accept that, as long as there's a return on investment for that, then I think you're good to go. Okay, brilliant. I mean, that's good. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for the for coming on the, the show, and it's always interesting to speak to you, really. Um, so thank you very much for that, Andrew. And um, yeah, basically, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Cheers. Cheers, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Okay.